suppose we've gotten to know each other um, quite well over the last two, two, three years now. Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll just roll with this as the start because I think it's quite, it's quite casual, isn't it? It is very casual. Yeah. This is, yeah. The, the plane didn't even take off. The plane was already flying and yeah. it's like, all right, we're in flight. Yeah. We're in. Uh, remember to put your oxygen mask on first. Yeah. Life uh, jackets. E- e- exits are here, here and here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyone who's listening, welcome back to the podcast, obviously. Um, before we get into things, um, I know you've been on the podcast before, but I think it'd be incredible if you could just give us a little bit of an insight, who you are, what you do, and how did we meet? Okay, so who I am and what I do. So I'm Kieran, I'm the founder of Total Mental Performance. And what I do is really simple. I rewire the way ambitious individuals look at their reality. That's the just cause. That's what keeps me going in terms of the mission and, and how I'm doing that today. So I'm the founder of Total Mental Performance, which is the world's fastest growing mindset service dedicated to the fitness industry. Outside of that, I coach high net worths on mental performance, mindset, emotion management. So a lot of people get hijacked by their emotions, whether that's fear, anxiety, self-doubt, scarcity. And ultimately, we help those individuals manage those emotions and then also break through glass ceilings. So one half is minimizing the downside from an emotional decision-making perspective and maximizing the upside from a peak performance side. And that's pretty much what we do. We're a small team. There's five of us in TMP now. And we've got a lot of partners and, and agencies that work around us. And that's it. That's what we're bringing to the world. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. And by the way, it's much more than that though, isn't it? Um, and I can know I can speak from my own experience. It's been absolutely incredible. And uh, also even just seeing TMP's growth over the last three three years or so, obviously it's been pretty rapid, right? It's not even three years, it's two years. It was our, it was our second birthday on uh, August 31st. And when we met, I didn't even have a logo. Remember that? Yeah, I remember uh, we were sat in Shimmers. Yeah, and you literally said to me, "Everyone wants coaching. Uh, I don't have the hours to fill this. What do I do?" And somehow I managed to convince you to put your prices up. And I was like, "Shit, I've just shortchanged myself." <laughs> yeah, you did. It was uh, at that point I was just coaching contacts from my business background. So I haven't always been a men's performance coach. Before that, I spent six years in software sales in London, selling around Europe and into the US. So really, I was just coaching my, my friends and my contacts there. And that was just for fun because I enjoyed it. And then I delivered a talk at Adam Haney's Inner Circle event. I think there's 20 people there and 12 signed up or something like that. And uh, good conversion. As conversion rates go, as I've learned about how marketing works, yeah. It's a really good conversion. So uh, it pretty much is very organic. And uh, it just grew from that. Didn't even have a logo, didn't have a team, didn't have anything. It was literally just I turned up as I was. And mm. it blew up from there, from the TMP side. Yeah, I think there's some absolute gold in there that would be really interesting to unpack. I think so many people wouldn't have just taken that action. They would have sat there and thought, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, this needs to happen, I need to have a logo, I need to have this planned, I need to have this system, blah, 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 whatever it might be. How did you just manage to take action? I nearly bottled it because my one of my, my, my first ever business mentor, shout out to Steve Calvert, Hallgrove Garage, uh, he, he's the first person I ever spoke to that had a business and, 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 and tried to sort of teach me about that. And I was like, I'm in an oh, I've been invited to speak in Dubai. Do I go? Do I not? It's, you know, do I want to put a 2K investment at least for four days? Do I want to do that? Or do I just sort of keep nailing my content and I have and, and whatever? And he went, mate, every time you've taken a risk like that, you've pulled it off. You'd be absolutely mental to not do it. And yeah, yeah, you're right. And, uh, I did it and it came off there. So it wasn't even my decision. It was one philosophy I have, which you know all about is boardroom selection, having an incredible boardroom of advisors that know you well, keeping them on board and then 
talk, calling out your bullshit and going, no, 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 this is the same bullshit you always come out with. And uh, he did that. And uh, if I hadn't have done that, I mean, I packed for four days, ended up staying two weeks, ended up never leaving and now Dubai's home. So it, it was it was literally my philosophy of I must have great people in my boardroom to observe my blind spots and help me avoid mistakes. And that's how it, that's how it happened. So I nearly didn't do it. Yeah. So it's that foundation of the boardroom that then allowed you to take the action and I suppose take the risk. But Absolutely. Was it actually a risk though? No. Well, most people think they have more to lose than they actually do. Most people think they... Oh, I can't possibly do that if I lose this. The people people like to be quite fatal in their decisions. If if I get this wrong, it's done. It's never done. You know, very rarely is one decision going to be fatal. Sure, there's high stakes, particularly if you're running a, a successful business. But if you don't do it, what's the point, you know? And you can play it safe. And sometimes there are times you need to pull back and, and, and do play it safe, particularly if life or death situations and health. Um, but outside of that, if you've got a, a mission that's bigger than you, bigger than your ego in relation to failure, then you've got to go for it, you know? The mission of rewiring ambitious individuals away from scarcity towards abundance and growth, away from toxic goals. The difference between toxic goals and abundance goals is really simple. Toxic goals are scarcity, fear of failure, validation, I need to prove that I am enough. Abundance goals, on the other hand, they're much more fun. Abundance, abundance goals are growth, they are inherently abundance. They are working towards a mission that's much bigger than you. So with my abundance goals, and I haven't always been driven by abundance goals, I've spent most of my life driven by toxic goals. Mm. Once you start to hit that place of abundance, it's like, well, I can't not take the risk. Do you know what I mean? Like this mission and what I'm doing is bigger than I am. And if that means I have to suck it up and I get it all wrong and I have to eat just rice and beans for like a couple of weeks or a couple of months, then fine, we'll start again, we'll figure it out. But once you find that and you break through all the emotional bullshit and limiting beliefs you take that away well life becomes really fun yeah 100% I find it so interesting because that trip obviously we know this um, I nearly didn't go on because I was scared what people were going to think of me wasn't going to fit in yada 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 um, used kind of COVID as a oh I can't travel because of COVID and then somehow don't know how I managed to pluck up the courage to go but once you get out that comfort zone and you challenge yourself that way and all of a sudden you start to create a positive loop of when I challenge myself and get out of my comfort zone you never know what's on the other side um obviously you had the boardroom to be able to help you to do that but it just goes to show that one moment can genuinely change the trajectory of your life massively and until you take that risk and prove to yourself that you can do it and hey worst case scenario what happens you fly home you go well fucked up there didn't I and you just get on with the next thing but what would you say to someone who Potentially has an opportunity, but they're shitting themselves essentially about taking the opportunity because they're scared of what might be on the other side. What is the cost of inaction? And if staying the same is an option and you're fine with that and you're at peace with that, perhaps you don't want the opportunity enough. So there's two parts to that. One is desire. Do you actually want the opportunity enough? If deep down you know you do, then it's usually fear, limiting beliefs, and, and the world of uncertainty that's holding you back, that's scaring you, that's, that's telling you to back off. So you've got to ask yourself deep down, do I genuinely want this? And if the answer is no, and you're happy with your life, and you don't really want to push on and grow, then why take the risk? If deep down you know, nah, I'm just scared, I'm afraid, that's different. And... 
you have to write down, well, what, what could I potentially miss out on? Another thing I like to do as well is uh, disaster planning. So if I'm taking a big risk, I'll go, well, what's the absolute downside? I actually learned this from my ex-girlfriend who was an actuary. And actuaries, what they do is their job is to analyse risk for high insurance claims. So the company she worked at insured the Queen, Arsenal Football Club, all sorts of things. I used to figure out, like, when's the Queen going to die? Or when is um, the top striker Arsenal going to get injured? She taught me this really simple framework, really, really simple. And these are all real big math geeks. You need to understand the upside, the downside, the opportunity cost, and just really analyze that. So a little bit of disaster planning going, well, can I afford the absolute downside? Worst case scenario, it all goes wrong. Can I afford that to happen? If the answer is inherently, yeah, of course you can, then get on with it. If the answer is no, if I get this wrong, you know, my family's dead, then it's a bit of a risk, but most of the time, life isn't as fatal as you make it out to be. It's usually ego that keeps you stuck. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's really interesting. I just did this with a client recently. Um, she just got a job opportunity um, in a different country. Super scared, super ner- nervous about doing any of it. And we just literally went, what's the upside? What's the downside? She listed out absolutely everything. And we went, right, looking at that downside, can you live with that? If that happens, what happens? If that happens, what happens? If that happens, what happens? And I'm so happy and so proud of her. She's now taken the risk. She's gone for the job and uh it's going to be incredible to see her growth out the other side of it but it all came down to a thing is like if it goes wrong i could just come home yeah um i think it's amazing and this really reminds me of one of your favorite questions is doing nothing an option oh that question i I actually learned it uh closing six figure software sales deals and if the answer was yes the chances in my experience chances of closing that deal was a lot fucking harder whereas if the answer is doing nothing's not an option they're making a decision and it might be your competitor, but they're making a decision. So you know, okay, I, I do need to invest in this process because doing nothing isn't an option. There is a deadline. There is something that needs to get done. If the answer is yes, and it's like, well, do I need to change? Mm. When was the last time you asked yourself that question? When did I last ask myself, is doing nothing an option? Mm-mm-mm. The conference. So I threw um, a conference in London and we basically create a 3D immersive experience. Obviously, Simon, you were there and you saw it. We basically we projected different environments onto the walls. So when I was talking about creativity, there was like a red and a blue. I don't even know how to describe it. Almost imagine like paint floating through the air. Um, like a, and, and it was a very creative scene. And I talked about guilt and shame and I played... Um, the heavy breathing. No, 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 that, no. The heavy breathing was overwhelm. Yeah, no, oh, no, overwhelm sorry was a static. Heavy breathing that, was anxiety. Mm-hmm. That heavy breathing didn't work. It, it sounded very dodgy, yeah. very <laughs> dodgy. But you run these experiments and you and you, you you learn by them. But anyway, we create this 3D experience where we were trying to channel emotion in the room and people could experience and practice feeling fear, guilt, and anxiety and overwhelm. On the flip side, it was creativity, clarity, and confidence. And uh, that... We, we, just being frank and honest, we, we budgeted, I think, 15 grand for that event. It eventually went up, spiraled out of control to like 27K. And I was like, fuck, do I pull the plug on this? Do I cut this? And we had people flying in from Dubai, America, seven different European countries, all over the UK. Like, you know, there was a lot, a lot on the line. And I'm thinking, shit, the cost is spiraling. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we didn't budget that. And 
oh God. And on top of that, I had a fully booked coaching diary. On top of that, I had a couple of team members sick in the build up to that. So I asked myself, well, is doing nothing an option? Can I just cool this off? And then I went back to the just cause, the thing that's bigger than me. Well, no, if I want to come and deliver and rewire the way in which ambitious individuals look at reality, I can't throw that out the window. That was the last time I asked myself, right, is doing nothing an option? And then the answer was no. So then I went, right, suck it up, kid. (laughs) Get on with it. And that was it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And honestly, the conference was incredible. The overwhelm, the the static was probably the worst one for me it was horrible and uh, i actually i think a couple of people asked if we could turn it off yeah it was it was it was uncomfortable it was basically what i did was i created static on the walls and then the sound was just and i wanted people to experience being stuck in overwhelm and understand that it's just a feeling we identify with our feelings we think our feelings are everything we think we we, we think we are our feelings but we're not they're just passing chemicals and brain reactions to those chemicals. When you start to not be afraid of them, when you start to not push them away, then you become inherently powerful because you're able to manage your emotional state regardless of what's happening in your outside world. Mm. I love that. I absolutely love that. It kind of leads on to what I wanted to talk about a little bit. Obviously, you now work with a, a lot of high-achieving coaches, but also high-net-worth individuals who have achieved a hell of a lot in their life. What would you say are some of the common traits of these people? So people have got some like tangible takeaways from listening to this podcast or watching it back. What do they do? What don't they do? If we're talking, what what do they do? What don't they do? That's behavioral. If we go a layer deeper, mm. they have like, they fucking want it. That's one thing that is so underrated is they absolutely fucking want what it is that they're going for. They really do. Desire. Yeah, they, they really want it. There's always like a, you know, a one to 5% of people that don't want it, but they're very good at what they do. But excluding that, that's more minority. These individuals deeply fucking want it. And it doesn't matter whether the, the drivers behind them are toxic goals of fear, scarcity, and I'm not enough, or whether they're abundance, like growth, a bigger mission in them. Sometimes it's a dance of the two. But they deeply fucking want it. And when you deeply fucking want something... Find a way. Yeah, you find a way and you take risks and you push yourself through all of the bullshit that stops you. So when you look at it that way and you go, well, you got to ask yourself, if you're not performing, do I really fucking want this? A lot of the time you don't. You think you you want it. Yeah. Well, ego doesn't want you to give up. Ego is like, I can't quit. I've got to keep going. It's like, yeah, but deep down, do you really, really, really want this? And I'm not telling people to just give up, but you got to ask yourself. And if the answer is no, no, I do want this, then you got to double down. But it always comes back to why. So that's the biggest thing. They really fucking want something. They were, they're going to do it. And then what, if we translate that to behaviorally, what do they do? What do they don't do? There's no like, you know, one magic. Oh, they do this one magic morning routine. Yeah, it's really cool. They delay their caffeine intake by 90 minutes. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but they do. They do hit, hit training in the mornings. There's no, there's mm-hmm. no one. A lot of them have structure. Mm-hmm. They know when they're on, when they're off. They, they know when they're working. They... Uh, are competent at what they do and if they don't have those competencies they either hire those individuals to make up for where they lack or they go and learn the skills they're lifelong learners they're always open okay how does that work what about this can i hire a coach to teach me that can i read a book can i go on a course so lifelong learning is is another thing they definitely typically tend to have more open minds they're more likely to take inspiration from other areas and they don't get so stuck in in groupthink and they go okay well how do you do that 
and how does that work for you and what can I learn from from that what they don't do is they don't do they do self-sabotage just not to the same degree as others um but they don't do things that they know is going to hugely set them back for example a lot of high achievers at some point in their life have loved to party and they've loved to party hard a lot of them some of them haven't some of them have lived lives like monks and, and that's okay when I get to a stage where they realise, well, hang on, if I party really hard, that's going to really hold me back. So I can't do that. And if I am going to do that, I'm going to do that in, in contained chaos, so to speak. So they don't do things that's going to really trip them up. They often have quite strong values and they live by them. I think the most unhappy people don't live by their values because they're not strong enough to assert their values on, on the world. Um, they don't get so influenced by their environments as much as other people do they're less likely to get trapped in oh but they're doing this so i need to do that or well they have this car so i need this car they're, they're less likely to do that they're more likely to go their own way some of them use that as drivers to 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 push forward their their mission but they're more likely to go well i don't want to get up until 4 a.m or 11 a.m i don't care what the rest of the world's doing i'm gonna do it on my terms that would be another thing behaviorally I would probably spot. Yeah. They're driven to live life on their own terms rather than what they think society should make them do necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's absolute gold. Um, would you say these people are more open to going layers deeper within themselves? Some are, some aren't. Some do not want to open the Pandora's box to what's sitting in their subconscious mind. Some are like fuck that I'm not going anywhere near that and they'll still be successful and they'll still they'll still do what they do um, but they won't necessarily feel that level of fulfillment and there'll always be a level of pressure consciously or unconsciously one of my clients is a guy called Neil Shoney and uh, he, he's a business mentor a business marketing mentor and he's generated literally millions of marketing revenue he, when he came to work with me, he, he was like, I'm literally the happiest I've ever been. And he didn't realize he was in a constant state of panic all of the time. And once we broke through that and I helped him realize, actually, dude, yeah, things are great. They could be so much better. He said it was like taking a 20 kilo backpack off. And you've experienced this in your coaching. You break mm -hmm. through something you're like, oh, my God, I had no idea that was impacting me or, or hurting me how it was. So that made um he he didn't even know there was stuff going on and then he opened the Pandora's box and, and now he says he's got more energy, he's more creative, he says it's just completely changed the game for him but ultimately he has a deeper sense of fulfillment. So a lot of them will go deeper in themselves but there'll always be a subset where they're like out of fear or ego. One reason why somebody won't go and get help is fear. What if I open up that box and I can't handle it? Another reason why someone won't go and get help will be ego. I don't need any help. I've got here this way. Why do I need that? Yeah. You know, mm. and, and, and there's the level of self-importance is so overinflated that nobody can help them because they've got, you know, the Midas touch. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I suppose, I think it's quite interesting because mindset as a whole, I think is becoming quite trendy right now. People are now starting to look in, they're starting to ask themselves better questions and they're really realizing that there is more to health and fitness than how you look or how you, how you feel within your own body. 
okay how fit you are how run how quick you can run how high you can jump they realize how you talk to yourself about yourself the thoughts like that you spend in your head are a massive massive part of that so if you've got someone who is potentially scared to look in or someone who isn't even open to looking inside and asking these questions or even think that mindset is a thing or important what would you be saying to those people Depends on whether they're conscious or unconscious. And what I mean by that is if they're conscious, no, no, anxiety is kicking my ass. Or I feel really guilt. I feel a lot of guilt and shame around a certain area. Or something like that. If you're consciously aware of a limitation that you think you can completely change the game, um, well, write down the consequences of, of not changing. I.e. If I, if I continue to live like this, what will happen for me? That's one thing. Another thing is looking at um, if I shift this, what will happen? If you're quite an anxious person, if I was to shift some of that anxiety or some of that pressure, what would happen? And right there, I'd be more calm, more relaxed. I'd probably get more done. Okay. And then what would happen? I'd be more effective. I'd perform better. And then what would happen? My business or my career would go to the next level. Mm. All right. What happens if you stay the same? I'm still going to be anxious, I'm still going to be stressed, I'm still going to be worried. So again, you're just, un, you're helping your subconscious mind understand the consequences of acting and also the consequences of not acting. And again, it comes down to us doing nothing, an option once you, you, you're clear of that. On the flip side, if you're not, if you're unconscious and you're not aware of, I mean, I've got this point and I'm not dead and I'm doing all right, then you will never understand your own blind spots. You will never understand those areas without somebody to hold up a mirror to that area and go, oh, what is this? What is, where am I missing a potential trick? And if you're a performance geek, you always want to get to the next level. We're all performance geeks at, at TMP. That's what we do. We are, how can we take somebody to that next league emotionally, physically, structurally, all the time? So that's somebody who, who, that's you and you haven't ever opened the Pandora's box and you haven't had somebody to shine a mirror to your blind spots. You are missing out on such a huge opportunity for personal and professional growth. It's unbelievable. So part of it's just going in with an open mind and going, well, maybe there is something I'm not aware of. And a good practitioner with laser focused questions to help my, our coaching philosophy at TMP is the question is the answer. You've got somebody that can answer those questions, ask those questions that create the answer, then, you know, you're literally, you are leaving performance gains on the table. A hundred percent. I think what you said there, the, the question is the answer. I think a lot of people have the idea of what coaching as a whole, whether that be in mindset, physique, whatever it might be. I think the word coaching people get wrong, in my opinion. I think a lot of people think that coaching is do this, this, and this. But I think true coaching is helping the client come to the realization themselves of what they need to be able to do and why that's important and why they need to take action. And there's two parts. There's, there's coaching and mentoring. And I've always been toying between are we coaches or are we mentors at TMP? And the, and the truth is we play both. A lot of it is coaching. We're all qualified therapists. So we're understanding the deeper emotional reasons. But then sometimes when it's less of the coaching and the therapy side, sometimes you need somebody to say, all right, well, cut out the shit. You know, you're talking shit now. We had a conversation like this earlier, uh, last week, didn't we? We did. You want to go into it? <laughs> we can do. 
well, your podcast. Yeah. So, so essentially, I'll, 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 be, I'll, I'll be a straight shoot here. Uh, Simon's done incredibly well in his business. Hit incredible consistency. His clients are churning out results left, right. And he's literally built a machine where you put an ambitious individual at one end, at the other end, they become leaner, more muscly, more strong, more productive, better energy, and they get more shit done. And it's been super consistent. But Simon has aspirations to try and bring that to the world. He's got a just cause that's bigger than him. And that was where I went, less coach, more mentor. It's like, right, well, Simon, we need to drop the fucking hammer now. You've got your new base in in here in Dubai. You've got all you've got all the foundations. You've got the team. You've got the structure. You've got the systems. And that's where I went out of coach. Well, how does that make you feel? Or what what needs to happen? And, and we did a lot of that stuff. And then once we got all the answers and we had it out, I was like, right, we fucking do it. We've got the plan. How are you going to fuck this up? What about this? What about that? And, and sometimes you need that person to drop the hammer and go. Staying the same is not the option. A hundred percent. I think it's the, uh, we use this for our clients to say, I'm here to put an arm around you. We're here to give you a high five or a fist bump, but I'm also here to give you the straight talk and a bit of a kick up the arse if you need it. And it's then just, I think, knowing the right time to be able to do that. And I know for me, I'm quite an analytical person and I'll like to plan and I'll like the detail and I'll make sure it was this. And I think for so long, um, that held me back from a procrastination point of view. But then I think it almost, in this instance, I was being a bit passive. I was using maintenance as a win because in the past I think like business or progression or whatever it might have been been up and down. I was like, hey, no, it's good. It's good to have stability. And then there was just something inside of me that was like, fuck this. Like I know I'm capable of more. And I would say I was generally born with something inside of me that refuses to settle, refuses to settle for if you want to label it as average or if you want to label it as anything but what I genuinely believe is my full potential. And I think this actually comes from my mum. Okay, ever since I was a young kid, there's one thing I will always remember my mum used to tell me. It was like, you can do anything if you put your mind to it, if you're willing to do the fucking work. And I'm telling you right now, I'm willing to do the work. And it's one thing to be able, have that will to do the work, but sometimes I think you just need someone to help you cut through all the noise. Someone to go, stop fucking around and just do this, this, and this. And that's exactly what you helped me do within that conversation. And that was like two weeks ago. And it's been the best two weeks of business that we've had in terms of progression, helping clients, bringing clients on board to the team that we've had in the last 12 months. But it just needed the one conversation. So I think this kind of ties back into what you said at the beginning about having the right boardroom and the right people around you. Now, something I wanted to ask you about was one of my biggest weaknesses in the past and still currently to a degree is thinking I can do it on my own, not asking for help or not knowing how to use that boardroom effectively. How do you use your boardroom? I know who to go to with what puzzle. So I've, I've got, and you might have seen this diagram, I've got a diagram of my boardroom. And there's some I will speak to about, for example, financial forecasting and planning. I didn't know really what that was two years ago. And I had to learn that. I've got, I've got people I can go to for that. Understanding what puzzles to bring to which mentor is helpful. It will save you a lot of time. That's one thing. Uh, Second thing is uh, this question I trained you on to leverage your boardroom more powerful is once you've explained your puzzle and your situation, you go, if you're in my shoes, what would you do? Because you instantly, it's easy for mentors, particularly if you've got very successful and busy mentors, for them to just go to stock answers, do that, do that, do that, do that, do that, watch this, read this. 
as soon as you ask that question, if you're in my shoes, what would you do? You instantly force your mentor to be ripped out of their world into your world. Oh, I would probably do this. And the answers that you'll get from asking that question is so much better. So learning to ask the right questions. Then we go into communication frameworks. And this is where uh, I learned this in software sales. Understanding which level to communicate at. So we've got Spanish, Russian, and Greek. And I've trained you in this, this framework. Mm-hmm. And I'll share this on the podcast. I think it'll be helpful. Agreed. Spanish is very technical. It's the ins and the outs. So in a, in a, um, they want to know, has it got red lights? Has it got blue lights? What lines of code has it got? In the fitness space, it's do I have this diet strategy? Is it keto or is it uh, intermittent fasting or is it this or is it that? They want to know the ins and outs. Typically, these people are younger or less experienced at a senior level. Then you've got Russian. They want to know the top level. Well, has it got red lights? Has it got blue lights? Is it keto or is it intermittent fasting? Um, but what's the value of that? What, what, how, if I go with that, that detailed strategy, what is the outcome? These are typically middle management um, or people breaking into middle management. And then you have Greek. These are often CEOs, executives, uh, investors. They don't give a flying fuck whether there's a red light or a blue light. Yeah, but is this going to um, strengthen my brand, strengthen my team, strengthen my systems? What's the return on investment? What is the value? I only want the value. I don't want anything else. So when you've got that, well, you've then got to communicate with your boardroom often these people are Greeks, so you've got to learn how to speak Greek. It's really hard, so you'll probably get stuck in Russian, and then they'll probably try and bring you up. So it's learning to ask the right questions, learning to know which person in your boardroom to go to for which puzzle, and then knowing how do I communicate with them so they will understand my puzzle and then help me. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another part of that is just being being a bit fucking stubborn hmm. as well. If, if you don't feel like you've got the answer that you want or the level that you need or you don't necessarily understand something fully is continue to ask questions don't just be like okay Hmm. because i know like talking from my experience if i would reached out to mentors potentially in the past and i maybe hadn't quite got the answer that i was looking for the depth of answer i'd just go okay well that's fine (laughs) i'll figure it out don't worry but then that would just lead to me staying stuck and being stuck is exactly at what got me to the position where I wanted to reach out in the first place Mm. so you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know to put a kind of catchphrase on it so you need to make sure that you just a bit fucking stubborn and make sure you push these people um but we've spoken about boardrooms and how to leverage them how do you build your boardroom first of all you've got to identify where do you need help number one and once you've identified that you then need to find people that have got either a direct experience in doing what you want to do, or they've they've tread, trod a path where you think, well, they've got a series of outcomes that I want, and I can resonate with them, and I think they can help me. That's really hard, because a lot of, uh, air quotes, mentors out there, and it's like, oh, is it this one, is it this one, is it this one, is it this one? Um, I try and get recommendations or referrals. There's a lot more mentors in your network already than you realize. Like, if you work in a corporate job, you could, there's, definitely people within that company that could mentor you often in family and friends in sports clubs you know how did I get my first ever business mentor he sponsored the boxing club and he was the brother of my boxing coach how did I get my next one I took a phone call so for a period of time I was recruiting for Samsung for salespeople four hours a day whilst boxing in the morning boxing on the evenings when I was on the England national boxing team and uh, I got an in- inbound call from this guy for a very senior position 
and uh, he asked me what was it really like to work there and I and I, I could sense this guy was well connected so I said call me after hours and I'll give you the real the real one and uh, we, we spoke after hours he goes by the way you seem a little bit different to, to most recruiters I speak to like what are you up to and at the time I was developing an app for, for boxers to help them lose weight and then uh, he said you need to speak to my friend Ron and then Ron is one of my biggest mentors in my boardroom you know an angel investor VC uh, has, has led businesses sold businesses very very well connected guy he then become my mentor. I asked him. So there's there's opportunity all around you. You just have to listen and ask. Most people are afraid of asking. Mm-hmm. And finally, it's how do you ask? So when I pitched the business to Ron, he disproved it, and then he said, uh, "Yeah, you haven't got a business here, and actually, you're probably going to end up in debt now." I, try, I went. I walked in trying to walk out with fifty grand. I walked out with a business that had been disproven, and there was no way I was going to make it. Dope. Yeah. Two months later. I called him up and I said, well, Ron, you know that business didn't work out? Yeah, I'm 15 grand in debt. I feel like a loser. I feel like I'm never going to clear this off. Um, can you help me? I just read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like you said. Well, you'd be my rich dad. And he was like, I'd love to. I said, okay. And I'm going to pay you an hour, 100 pounds for 30 to 40 minutes of your time a month. And he said, no, you, you can't afford that. And I said, exactly. You know how much that fucking that is worth to me. You, you'll turn up and you'll take it seriously. He goes, okay. And... You know, I still pay him £100 every month. And we still catch up once a month on, on the personal side of, of life. So it's understanding that you've got these people all around you. You've just got to listen and look out for them. So number one, identify what is it that you need help for from a mentor. Number two, look into your direct network that you have. Can you get any recommendations, any referrals, anyone in your company or your friends have worked with this mentor or, or whatever? Number three, have the bollocks to ask and say, can you help me? Don't ask, don't get. Exactly. Yeah, I can think about the amount of times in my life where if I had just asked certain questions at certain times and it's literally on the tip of your tongue, like, I should ask this, I should ask this, I should ask for this, raise, promotion, if this person can help me, whatever it might be, and you just don't do it, okay? Just do it, please. Do your future self a favor. And again, we've covered all of this, like, what's the worst that could happen? If you ask for help, and you put yourself out there and someone says no and go, okay then. No, you'll find someone else. Nothing to lose. Exactly. And that no might just be a no for now. I don't have the time to help you right now, but let me introduce you to this guy. You know, the amount of times I've asked someone for some help and they've said, I can't help you, but I know someone that can. Load. So much. So, so there's a book and this book is so good. It's called uh, The Luck Factor by Richard Wiseman. And this guy studied luck. And... He, what he realizes, lucky people and unlucky people have a different mindset and a view on reality. Lucky people ask more questions. Lucky people meet more people. Lucky people have a network of luck. They take more risks. They also believe that everything will be okay. Unlucky people don't meet more people. They believe that they're inherently unlucky. They look for things to go wrong. They don't put themselves out there in the world. Lucky people also have more time. They create more time to think. When they have more time to think, they can spot more opportunities and be more creative. Unlucky people have less time. They're often stressed making mistakes. So ask. Yeah, that you recommended that book to me probably probably a year or 18 months ago. And I would put it in my top two or three books that have helped me change the way I think. And then as a byproduct, how I act. And generally, it's probably allowed me to now live in Dubai, run the business that I do and just live how I do. Um, and kind of relating this back to some training and thing and nutrition and stuff like that, because I know a lot of people obviously listening to this is going to be around that is people always come to me saying, I want confidence. Okay. One, what is confidence? Okay. It's going to be unique to what you want, but trying to 
tie this back into the luck factor and being able to live life on your terms, if you're in better shape, okay, guess what? You're probably going to have more confidence, okay? Because that's why people are reaching out to us at the end of the day. If you have more confidence, guess what? You're going to put yourself into more positions to be lucky. And you do that consistently for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. One day it's going to come back around and you're going to strike gold. The, com- the compound effect is is huge, you know? And even me, where this year you've seen me put on some size, I was 66 kilos uh, this time last year. Now I went up to 73. And for me, I've always been very, very slim and it's been really hard for me to put weight on. Even now, as I'm now cutting and I've started to take, take a kilo off, I'm a lot more confident. I have more energy. I'm more like, like, like let's, let's go, you know? And physical presence is a part of it feeling comfortable and feeling strong and having that energy the energy that you turn up with people pick up on you know some people walk into a room and you can just sense i don't know what it is they've got something about them i've got no idea what that is and i think part of that is movement energy training being comfortable in, in the body that you've got and just understanding that your body is just a big race car and if you want to be a high performance race car and you want to take everything up to the next level and you know you can't wing it you know f1 don't wing it they are highly focused precision machines you know and it's the same with your body the mind is the driver and that's why i'll ask you sometimes if you come into a session and you're you're tired or you're not you're not firing i'll always ask well how's the car and you'll say yeah yeah i like that I'm always checking in on Simon's energy. He's at the phase now where we don't need to be catching up every week. We just need to check in every month. I'm looking at his energy, his sleep, his nutrition, his training. This is the basics. Because if the car is well and he still doesn't feel right, then we've got a driver issue. And if you can look after that car and you can make that car a high-performance race car that has energy, that has good fuel, that is operating, that can get around the corners, fuck me, you're in a completely different league. Then if you take the driver and you make that driver so sharp with his decision-making or her decision-making, so sharp with speed and emotions and being able to have the confidence to go out and do that, well, that's, that's a race-winning car and team and driver versus doing all the mindset side and then having a shit car. The driver's never going to be able to win. On the flip side, you can have an incredible car. If the driver's all over the place, the driver's never going to be able to make good decisions and, and, and win the race, you know? Yeah, 100%. And I think talking about my own experiences like my training wise i think the car for me has always been in a good place i was always an athlete played rugby played tennis all of this but i had so much untapped that i didn't even know it was a thing like i had no idea i just thought how i felt was normal mm. and it was nothing was terrible by any stretch of imagination but just don't settle just have a constant pursuit of why does anyone say it has to be this way? Mm. Because on the other side of it, you have no idea what is, literally no idea what could be on the other side if you just do the work and ask some questions. And if you feel in a good place mentally, physically, how can you challenge yourself? How can you push the limits? What can you achieve next? So what's training taught you? Now you start to get a bit more into your gym and the physique side of things. What's training taught you? Mm. I mean, I boxed for eight years and that was a performance outcome that was... I want to win this fight and I don't want to be knocked out. I never got knocked out. I never got put on the floor. I had no evidence to suggest that, but that was always a, like, a, a, I was never really afraid of being knocked out. It was more losing. That was the thing. 
But going into the gym and trying to put size on, that's a different, just an aesthetic, right? That's a different ball game. And that for me was, to be honest, it was often just a reminder of the lessons I learned in boxing. Be patient, stick to the process. If something's not working, make a change, have a coach, learn some stuff, uh, and just automate it. Just automate turning up. Just automate. And sometimes you're like, for example, I, I did a, that strength session on Friday at 11 p.m. My, I, brought, I, I managed to see some week-on-week week strength gains on my first set of squats, and then after that, it completely tanks, and I'd made a mistake, and I realized, yeah, we don't do strength sessions at 11 p.m., obviously. Dull. And you just learn. You just go, all right, well, I'll chalk that one up to experience, and then you go again. So I, I think it was a, a reminder of consistency, a reminder of learning. A rem- I was very anxious going back into the gym. I used to have a perfectionistic mindset when I was boxing. And I did exactly the same. Even today when I was in my boxing session with my coach, I was like, he's teaching me this new thing and I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, I can't, can't quite land it. Um, but it's learning to just be patient. And, and it gave me a lot of reminders of, of those. What's the rush? Well, we have more time than we think. Mm. We have more time than we think. Mm-hmm. 100%. I've been going backwards and forth this thing in my head, but we've got more time than we think. But I also think there's power in being impatient. Mm. But it's then knowing when to choose which one. I've been pondering with a phrase. You know, I like to ponder on quotes and phrases after for a while. And I think this is what I've landed on, and I, I've, I've not I've not verbalised this to anyone yet. So this is a world live exclusive. Prestige worldwide, worldwide. Growing at peace. Growing at peace. I love that. Yeah, and this is me speaking this idea aloud. But growing at peace is being at peace with yourself while pushing yourself to for more. Being at peace with, I'm inherently enough of who I am. I'm inherently enough with what I do, and that's okay. And that means doesn't mean I back off. On the contrary, I'm growing from a place of peace, not growing from a place of toxicity, fear, self-doubt, insecurity. And that's really the thing I think that we deliver. You know, total mental performance is a Trojan horse. The Trojan horse is performance. Everybody thinks they want performance. I want to be more productive. I want to get more done. I want to be a machine. Don't get me wrong, you get those outcomes. But what you actually get is emotional and psychological freedom. And I think that's really the thing. And that, that's where growing at peace has really come from, as I've been journaling a lot and, and refining those ideas. One of the best pieces of marketing advice I got was sell the six-pack, give them the diet plan. You come for an outcome, but isn't the outcome that you need, you know? If you really wanted a six-pack, you could probably get liposuction and then just have some abs implanted, but the person that you become isn't able to maintain that, and it'll always come back, you know? So growing at peace is the thing that I've been pondering the most, and, and that's, quite frankly, that's where me and my team and my clients are at. Yeah, I, growing at peace. I absolutely love that. I think it ties in with the the kind of don't read become a reader mm. it's the the identity shift that you undergo on the pursuit to achieve the goals and the outcomes that you want to be able to achieve um honestly mate thank you so much for this i think it's been some uh, absolute gold and it's been great to get um behind the microphones again in a very very different uh, setup to zoom yeah last cool, time. Huh? um one question if you could go to dinner with three people dead or alive who would they be and why this is gonna this i'll be clear I am inherent peace and love and abundance. <laughs> I do want I do want to go to dinner with Hitler and I want to understand I want to understand him. I want to understand what and this is this is my psychology, this is my therapist hat. 
speaking, I want to understand how he got there. I really want to understand what happened. Yeah, you know. So he's he's one person I would love to have dinner with and just like. So what makes you tick then? Yeah, let's di- let's dissect yeah. this. What happened? Um, Who taught you to think like that? Yeah, Ricky Gervais. I love Ricky Gervais. Uh, one of the biggest compliments I ever got after I speak, spoke was someone who's like, you know, you're quite poetic, like Ricky Gervais. And I, and I was wearing exactly the same stuff that Ricky wears, which was like black jeans and a black T-shirt. I was like, are you sure it wasn't just, you know, I'm carrying a bit of weight at the minute? And <laughs> he's like, no, no, Ricky Gervais, incredible, very funny, very bright human being. Mm. Uh, and, and having him sat next to Hitler would just be, <laughs> just be incredible. And, uh, you need a few bottles of wine. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. And then Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. That would be a very interesting uh, dinner table. Mike Tyson, Hitler, and Ricky Gervais. Where are you taking them for dinner? Ooh, um, there's this little Emirati restaurant in uh, in Dubai, and uh, it's called Al Jaboot, and they do really good, really really good Emirati food. Like you'll have like a big plate with rice and like this beautiful sauce, and then a b- this bucket of like lobsters and mussels and prawns, and they just drop it on top and. You can see the Burj Al Arab and it's just in the corner of like this little marina. Um, you just sit there and yeah, uh, it would be, be great to, to have that conversation. Yeah, that would be uh, be interesting, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, well, honestly, mate, a massive, massive thank you. Just want to let everyone know where they can find you. Obviously, I'll pop uh, Kieran's Instagram and the website and everything in the show notes below. Um, but where can everyone find you? If you are a high-performing business individual, go to www.kieran.com. If you're a coach and you want to learn more about coaching and, and mindset coaching in the fitness space, then head to www.totalmentalperformance.com on Instagram at Total Mental Performance. Love it. Thank you so much, mate. And uh, guys, make sure you give it a share to your um, socials. Give us both a tag and uh, we'll see you in the next episode.